0: You just knew that was going to go wrong the whole time. You're watching for like a minute. I mean, even the dog knew. Do you hear that dog barking for the first minute? Had Lassie there trying to warn them. I mean, was, this is not smart, and uh, you're just kind of waiting for that moment. I, I love those videos, uh, and I, we're going to show them throughout the series, partially just because that's, that's life, right? I mean, how many times have we tried to do a DIY project, and we've had it blow up in our face? Maybe not quite that bad, but we've experienced failure with those things. And yet, um, we don't want you to be afraid when it comes to what we're talking about this weekend and throughout this series, sharing Jesus. Because uh, if you follow some simple steps, and uh, just, these are not magical steps, but they're just steps that allow God to work, uh, great things can happen. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you'd come and that you'd speak through me. May the words of my mouth, Father, be your words. And we pray that you'd come by your spirit and fill us so that the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, You know, generally speaking for me, when it comes to DIY projects, uh, I I get myself into trouble because I'm not very good at getting the steps in the right order. Anyone else feel me there? Any of you like to just kind of, you know, you're not so sequential all the time? Uh, That's me sometimes. I'm not someone who really pays a lot of attention to instructions. Uh, You know, I'm the kind of guy who I start to read the instructions. I get a general idea, and then I'm like, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'll figure this out myself. Anyone else? You can fess up. It's a safe place here. It's, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, so, so I do that, and, and, and often that works out well for me. I, I guess I, you know, I'm intuitive enough to figure it out, but every once in a while, it doesn't work out for me. Um, about a year and a half ago, um, my daughter, she, uh, she asked for a basketball hoop for her birthday, and so um, we pulled some money together and got her a basketball hoop, and uh, I decided one day on my day off to assemble it you know, by myself while, uh, while she was at school, so it'd be a surprise when she came home. And assemblies for me are the worst, especially when it comes to kids stuff. Uh, because what I find is, is I'll get to step 49 in the process. And I realized all the way back at step four, there was something I didn't quite get right. All the way back here, step four. And, and then you got to go back and figure out how to deal with that. Anyone else? Yeah, this happened to you, sure. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's the problem with getting the steps out of order. And today, he, here's a great risk. We want to spare you from this uh, mistake as it relates to this series. Because last week we talked about urgency, and we said, you know, know what's at stake. And, and I think some of you got fired up, and you said, you know what, this is important. This is important. I've, I'm called. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about sharing the life of Jesus with other people. And, and what we could do if we're not careful is we could just run out and start telling people, you know, grab the bullhorn and let everyone know. But in so doing, if, if we do that, we're skipping a very, very important step where if we skip this step, we will not be nearly as effective as we could be otherwise. Uh, today we want to show you this, uh, this step, this approach. Um, and, and again, we're going to look at this guy Paul from the, the New Testament. Paul was uh, known as St. Paul or the Apostle Paul. He wrote a large portion of the New Testament. And uh, Paul was a guy who was who literally traveling around the world sharing Jesus. He's kind of our model for this series because he shared Jesus better than anyone Uh, In fact, starting at about Acts 16, you can read about what's known as Paul's second missionary journey. And uh, in in, in the course of two chapters, we've got a map up here actually for you. Uh, In the course of two chapters, Paul travels a dozen places He's just kind of moving all around the globe. So starting down here in Jerusalem, up to Antioch, to Tarsus, to Derby, to Lystra, Iconium, all the way over to Troas, gets on a boat, goes up to Philippi, to Thessalonica, Berea, Athens. I mean, he's going from place to place to place, and he's sharing Jesus, and people are believing in Jesus. And they're getting baptized, and churches are being formed, and he's raising up leaders, and, and amazing things are happening. And there are also some setbacks, you know, just minor stuff. Uh, like, for instance, here at, uh, at Philippi, way up here, um, at Philippi, um, Paul, he got in trouble with the authorities, and, and he may have gotten flogged and jailed for a little while. But, you know, just small stuff. <laughs> um, it also happened that in Thessalonica, right after that, there was a riot that they started in the city, and they had to get out of town before their lives were lost. And, you know, just little stuff. Other than that, though, Paul's traveling throughout the world, And he's sharing Jesus, and it's going really, really well. And Paul's this guy who's got this vision to eventually get all the way over to Rome. I think he's crazy enough to think that he can convert the emperor. And then he wants to go even beyond that. He literally wants to take Jesus to the whole world. And so up to this point, in Acts 16, 17, Paul is like this steamroller, just moving all across the Roman Empire, sharing Jesus. But but something changes here in Acts 18, in the city called Corinth. The wheels kind of fall off. And that's where we see uh, what our vital next step is going to be in this whole process. So let's go there. Acts 18, starting at verse 1. You can open up your Bibles right now. You can take out your smartphone and go to uversion.com. Then go to live, type stjstl. This scripture will be there for you as well. You can also submit prayer requests or give online through that portal. Uh, or you can look right up here. Acts 18, verse 1. It says, after this, I just told you, after what? After all that traveling, specifically he was in Athens, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Get this. Because Claudius, the emperor, had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Now now just pause here for a second and imagine this. I mean, this is so foreign to us. But Priscilla and Aquila were living in a world where because of their faith, the emperor Claudius expelled everyone who was of Jewish, uh, Jewish descent, Jewish practice, out of Rome. Specifically, uh, there's a historian, a secular historian who writes about this and says that was because Claudius was mad that these Jews were disputing about this figure by the name of Christus, uh, who, who we know as Christ. But just think about this for a second. So these people, because of their faith, were cast out of their home city, their, their house, their livelihood, all of that. They were made to leave and go and set up life somewhere else. I mean, this, this is foreign to us. And yet, you know, we think about how scary it is to share Jesus with other people. This is what people like Priscilla and Aquila were facing for their faith. Just just a remarkable So uh, they go there, and and I love this, because I don't think God was, you know, using Claudius to expel Jews from the city, and yet God redeemed that bad thing, and he caused something great to happen as a result of Claudius' evil action. Uh, So they end up in Corinth, and Paul ends up there too. So Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. Well, what happened here? The guy's making tents with Priscilla and Aquila. He's working leather. He's, uh, he's preaching on the side so he can off- offer the gospel free of charge. Well, Silas and Timothy come down from Macedonia, and we know this from 2 Corinthians, that, uh, that they bring a financial gift, an offering, from some believers there who want to support the work of the gospel going forward. It's like what you just did, right? A minute ago. Um, so, so they support the work of the gospel going forward, Silas and Timothy, they bring this financial gift so Paul can devote himself fully to the preaching of the gospel. So so things are starting to warm up for him there in Corinth. So he he devotes himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But watch what happens. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, again, we, we don't know what they did to him there, Uh, But we know what happened to Paul in other places. I told you some of these things. So this wasn't just, you know, soft persecution. They became abusive. He shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So I I don't know about you, but this kind of makes me feel better, honestly, that a guy like Paul, you know, a guy who is gifted by God, a guy who who had visions of Jesus, a guy who was called and commissioned for this very purpose— A guy who, from a young age, was studying the Old Testament scriptures. A guy who had some great arguments worked out to convince people from the Old Testament that Jesus was, in fact, the Christ. I mean, a guy as smart, as gifted, as passionate as Paul wasn't always successful. That makes me feel better. I know it's kind of sick, right? But it does. It makes me feel better that Paul wasn't always successful, that his arguments didn't always work. And, in fact, he does this weird thing where where he shakes out his clothes it's kind of this metaphor that worked in the Bible days. Don't try it today. It does not translate. People just think you got bedbugs or something if you start shaking out your clothes. Uh, so Paul says, you know what? I'm done. I'm moving on. I'm going to go to the Gentiles now. It's not having a lot of success, but watch what happens in the next verse. Then Paul left the synagogue. And by the way, do you guys kind of understand what a synagogue is? Um, it, it, it's, just, it's just a community. It's kind of like a church nowadays, but it was a community of Jewish believers that would gather together for the reading of scripture, for prayer, and for the, you know, mutual um, growth in their faith. And uh, the synagogue movement really started, um, some, some of it was helped through the exiles as the Israelites were cast out of their homeland at different times, and they were away from the temple. Uh, they started setting up these little community uh, Uh, communities of faith all around the world. And so there were synagogues in every town. They were like little, uh, you know, um, religious gatherings. And uh, and the practice of the synagogue was when a rabbi would come into town, they'd invite him in, and, and it was kind of this community thing, and the rabbi would be able to share a word and be able to teach. In fact, we see Jesus doing this in the Gospels. He goes to synagogues, and he's a rabbi, and they say, okay, so do you have a word for us? And he teaches them. Well, that's what Paul's doing. He's going first to the synagogues, and that's where most of the Jews are gathered in any city. But there are also going to be some Gentiles there who believe in the God of the Old Testament, but who aren't fully Jewish because they've not been circumcised. They're either called um, God-fearers, or uh, hear they're called worshipers of God. So, so Paul leaves the synagogue because the Jews are becoming abusive. So he leaves there, and he literally goes next door to the house of Titius Justice, who is a Gentile, but he's a worshiper of God. He's an uncircumcised man. So, so Paul leaves the synagogue, he goes next door, and he continues his work. Next verse. Uh, But watch this. This is so funny. So he leaves the synagogue, goes next door, shakes out his clothes. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. So even though Paul left the synagogue and went over and started preaching out of this other guy's house, um, the synagogue leader actually comes to faith. And not only him, but many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. So, So now Paul's starting to gain some traction. And guess what? This is about the time where Paul usually would go back to his room, wherever he's staying, and pack his bag and set some people up as leaders and say, hey, you know what? Go at it, guys. I'm going on to the next place. I'll write you. And that's what Paul did. He wrote to churches. That's what we have as, as most of our New Testament, our letters that Paul wrote to churches. Th- this is the time where Paul normally would, would, would just pick up and leave and move on and, and go do his next thing because he's trying to reach the whole world. But here at Corinth, God intervenes. Take a look at this. One night, the Lord Jesus, again, you know, he appears to Paul again. Paul's seen visions of Jesus before. He spoke to Paul in a vision, and he said, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent. I'm going to read those words again. Do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent. I mean, these are words that some of us need to hear today too, right? Right? Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Our world is not near so scary as Paul's was, and yet we still need these words from Jesus. Uh, And here's why Jesus could say that. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, he says in the next verse. I am with you. He's Emmanuel. He's with us always to the very end of the age and no one is going to attack you and harm you, because I have many people in this city. This, this baffles me, actually, this last line, because Corinth was kind of like Vegas. Or, or better yet, it was kind of like New Orleans. It was this port, and there was all kinds of stuff that was going on in Corinth that was not good. It was kind of the vice capital of the empire. And, uh, and, and yet Jesus says in Corinth, in this unlikely place, he had many people in this city. And so he says, Paul. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. I'm with you. No one's going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So, uh, as a result of that, Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. See, all of a sudden, Paul's whirlwind world tour is interrupted. Uh, He's not going to be able to go on to the next place. He's not going to Rome. He's not going beyond Rome. But, But God says, no, no, Paul, here's what I want you to do. I want you to settle I want you, Paul, to focus. And this is where I think so many of us go um, wrong in our next step. You know, after we've got that urgency, like I said, we want to run out and spray people with the fire hose of Jesus. want to grab our bullhorn and, and start yelling at people and tell them about Jesus. But that's not our next step. No one here is asking you to go out and be a street corner evangelist. No one here is asking you to be the person who asks every waiter or waitress where they would go tonight if they died. Uh, I'm not asking you to be uh, the person who badgers every acquaintance that you meet about their personal relationship with Jesus. You know, that might all be okay if you've got the gift of evangelism. You know, Paul had that gift. He was gifted by God with a special gift of evangelism. And and so, you know, I, I think stuff like that might have worked for Paul. Paul might have done that stuff. In fact, I can just imagine Paul being the guy at Halloween who instead of passing out candy to the kids, was giving them gospel tracts and testaments. those little nasty candies with scriptures on them. I mean, yeah, I can imagine Paul being that guy. I can just see him doing that and it working for him because he was an evangelist. He could just make that stuff work. But for most of us who don't have that that spiritual gifting of evangelism like Paul, that's the wrong step. See, See, there's an approach that will get you a lot further, a lot faster. And that approach is to focus on a few. To focus on a few. Paul had to learn this. He wanted to go to the whole world, and yet God said, no, 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 Paul, I want you to stay in Corinth. And he stayed there for a year and a half. Paul had to focus on a few. We're going to talk about what this means, focusing on a few, because this is a vital next step that needs to happen before we say anything. We'll get to speaking starting next week. But before that, we have to, we have to learn this focusing on a few. And for starters, I'll say this. Focus is about a narrower but deeper impact. Focus is about a narrower but deeper impact. It's like the difference between a floodlight and a laser, right? A floodlight is is trying to give as much light to as much space as possible. A laser is very narrow, focused, coherent light that can have a deeper impact. It's narrower but deeper See, see, I'm saying your next step is to learn to be more like a, a laser and a little less like a floodlight all the time. Because that's what Paul had to do in Corinth. You know, he couldn't go from place to place. Instead, he had to live in Corinth. And he had to, uh, you know, live among people. And he got to be known as more than just some traveling itinerant preacher, but he got to be known as, as, as Paul, a guy that they had meals with and laughed with and cried with and celebrated with. He became known to them, and he got to know them. He invested in them. He lived among them. He worked alongside of them. And along the way, he he kept on speaking, because Paul was an amazing evangelist. But this is where so many of us get it backwards. We think we're supposed to just go tell people about Jesus without doing all that other stuff first. You know, this week, as I was uh, working on this message, I was kind of getting ready to put it to... To bed on Friday, and it occurred to me, it's just one of these little mini revelations, um, it occurred to me that, part of it was I was getting ready for a wedding yesterday, um, uh, but, but it occurred to me that those words from 1 Corinthians 13, words that a lot of us maybe have heard at weddings before, uh, those words that I'm going to share with you in just a second, those words were written by Paul to this community in Corinth. Paul actually penned those words from 1 Corinthians 13 to this community um, at Corinth, and, and I think there's a connection here. I don't think it's a coincidence that this was his message to them. Uh, look at these words 1 Corinthians 13. Paul said, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I, give the, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, and you know what? Paul had a lot of that. Incredibly gifted. He says, if I have all of that, a faith that can move the mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Then he goes, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body, uh, some translations say to the flames. This one says to the hardship uh, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I mean, do you think it's any coincidence that Paul wrote these words? to a community of people that he spent a year and a half of his life with. It may have been that Paul even learned these words while living in Corinth. That ultimately, it doesn't matter how good your message is. It doesn't matter how effective you are as a communicator. It doesn't matter how convincing your arguments are. It doesn't matter how gifted you are, how passionate you are. None of that matters. If you don't have love, you will only be noise in the ears of people around you. And, and more than just saying, if, if you don't have love, if people don't know that you love them, if they don't know that your words are coming from, from, a, from a foundation of love, it's just noise. You are at best a clanging gong or a clashing symbol. Do you think it's any coincidence that, that Paul, when writing to these Corinthian believers, that, that he wrote these words, I mean these words that, that embodied his ministry among them? And see, I think this could be the reason that some of your previous attempts at sharing Jesus haven't been fruitful. I can't say for certain, but this could be the reason why. is because you were just a clanging gong and a clashing cymbal because those words weren't coming out of a foundation of love. See, that's what we're talking about when we talk about focusing on a few. You can't let everyone know that you love them. You can't invest in everyone, but you can for some. And in fact, this may be part of the reason that some of you get timid about sharing Jesus because you think, I don't want to be noisy. I've seen that. I don't want to be like that. You don't have to be like that. And in fact, when you follow this in the right order, when you focus on a few, when you invest, when you become known, when you love, you won't be a clashing gong or a clinging cymbal. See, focus is about saying, I'm going to narrow my impact So I can have a deeper impact. I'm going to narrow my focus so I can have a deeper impact in people's lives. I'm going to invest. I'm going to go deeper. I'm going to let people know that I love them. But focus is also something else. It's about the power of small actions repeated over time. It's the power of small actions repeated over time. Uh, You know, I think there's great power in this generally. Some of us are always looking for that leap forward, that thing that's going to get us way ahead. That's not how you win in life. The way you get anywhere in life is the power of small actions, leveraging the power of small actions repeated over time. See, it's, it's reinforcement in parenting. Those of you who've got young kids at home, or if you can remember, if you've ever had young kids at home, I mean, some nights after dinner, my wife turns to me and she goes, why do I have to tell the kids every night to wash their hands and face after dinner? And why do they go and wash or wipe their, uh, you know, ketchup hands and face all over the couch? You know, I, I say this every night, this is not new. You've been there. Some of you are there right now. It's reinforcement. You know, you'll say it enough times, and by the time they're 40, they'll finally do it. Right? It's the power of small actions repeated over time. You know, it's, it's the magic that happens, which is really no magic at all after 40 or 50 or 60 years of marriage. You look at how, where people got, and you just go, wow, what a great love story. And, and you know what? There, there probably weren't big romantic leaps that got those people to that place. There's 40, 50, 60 years of I love yous. 40, 50, 60 years of, of shared moments, of words of encouragement, of, of acts of kindness and service to each other. Those of you who are athletes, this is why you, you know, you've done 9,999 layups. This is why you do your 10,000th layup drill. Because there's great power in small actions repeated over time. We are so impatient when it comes to sharing Jesus generally. I know I am. But you can't microwave this stuff It doesn't happen quickly. It only comes over time. It comes over longevity. It comes over the course of a relationship, of life lived together. See, this is why focus is important, because only when you focus on a few can you unleash the power of small actions repeated over time. They have this compounding effect. And then the last thing I'll say about focus is this, is that focus is a challenge to those who are fairness-minded or results-oriented. Focus is a challenge for those who are fairness-minded or results-oriented. You know, if you're, if you're someone who's really fairness-minded, this is gonna be a challenge for you. You're never gonna be able to, to get this step right because this very idea that you are called to focus on a few, to invest in a few, to love a few, it, it's gonna be offensive to your sense of fairness. You're gonna say, well, what about everyone else? If I only focus on a few of my neighbors or coworkers and I really invest in them, is that saying I don't care about everyone else? no. What it's saying is that you trust that God is big enough to raise someone else up to care about those people, that you can't do it all. You know, just generally, uh, there's this Christian leader that I love, and uh, he says this just generally, that if you don't learn the power of focus, you're not going to go anywhere in life. You're going to be crippled. And he has this phrase, he says, do for one what you wish you could do for all. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. I mean, that's a great mantra to live life by. Because if you wait to try to do something for everyone, if you think it's your responsibility to treat everyone the same and fair, uh, fairly, then you're never going to do anything. You'll never do anything generous. You'll never do anything great. You'll never do anything sacrificial. I mean, Paul, he didn't stay everywhere for a year and a half. Well, that's not fair. Yeah, exactly. It's not fair. But God called him to invest, and, and there was fruit that came out of that investment. Jesus himself, when he came to the world, I mean, he he didn't heal everyone. He didn't restore everyone. Chances are he walked by, you know, one guy on the way to heal another guy. Well, that's not fair. It's not always fair. And if you're fairness-minded, this is going to be hard for you. Or if you're results-oriented, this is going to be hard for you. And, you know, I think specifically in our community here, we're a lot of results-oriented people. Some of us have, you know, this is how you've been successful in life, by being very focused, driven, results-oriented that makes you successful in life, but it, it'll make you terrible at this. Because if you're results-oriented, you're going to want to pre-qualify people to find only the best leads and, and uh, if you, the idea that you could invest in someone over time and, and invest energy and money and, and acts of kindness and, and that it might not go anywhere. That, that, that's appalling to you if you're results-oriented. I get that. This can be a hard thing for you, but but if we don't learn to leverage the power of focus, if we don't don't learn to narrow our scope from the whole world to a few people who God has placed right in front of us, we're not going to get very far. You know, I I think about a parable Jesus told once. It was a metaphor. And he was talking about evangelism, really, and, uh, and he used this metaphor. He said, um, he says it's sort of like evangelism is sort of like um, a farmer who goes out with a whole bunch of seeds and, and he just starts scattering the seeds indiscriminately all over the ground. And some of you know this. It's in Matthew 13. If you want to look it up later, he explains it further. If this intrigues you, you can go look in Matthew 13 later. Uh, but, but he talks about these different kinds of soils, right? Do some of you know that parable? Do you remember some of the soils? Just shout out a soil if you remember the, the types of soil that he goes by. So there's rocky soil, right? And so he says there's going to be rocky soil, and the rocky soil, the problem with that is the seed might take root, but it's, it's got shallow roots, and so distress will come, and it'll, it'll, it'll die out. What was another kind of soil? Hard pack. So there's like a path, you know, hardened soil. And so the seed goes on the, the hard path or the road that packed down soil, and it never gets in. And, and he says a bird just comes, and it steals that seed away. It steals, steals it away. It never gets a chance to, to uh, actually germinate. Remember another one? Yeah, there's the fertile soil. We've got to wait on that one. There's one more. <laughs> See, you guys just want to run ahead. Uh, there's the, the soil with the weeds, right? And there were weeds, and, uh, and the weeds choked out the plant. And then there was the fertile soil. And so Jesus says, you know, the fertile soil, when the seed falls, it produces a harvest that's enormous. And, and where we go wrong when we hear that parable is we get kind of fatalistic about it sometimes. And we say, well, you know, I guess this person in my life, they just might be rocky soil, and they're never going to hear the gospel, and there's nothing I can do about it. And that's not what Jesus was trying to get at, really. To be sure, what Jesus was saying is is he was explaining to a bunch of disciples who were very confused as to why everyone didn't believe in him. He was explaining why this didn't work the same for everyone. But in no way, form, or fashion was he saying, you know, people are the soil that they're going to be, and there's nothing you can do about it. Just kind of let them be. See, See, this is what focusing on a few is actually all about. You can't do this for everyone, but for a few people in your life, over the course of time, through through investment, you can begin to work the soil of their life. You can remove rocks. You can pull weeds. You, you can find ways to till and soften a soil that's become hardened. Sometimes this is even called uh, pre-evangelism, because it's the work that you have to do before the seed, the the word of the gospel comes. And you know, sometimes this work can take months. Sometimes it can take years. Sometimes it might even take decades of working the soil of someone's life before it's finally fertile soil. But even if that's the case, what's your rush? Do you have something more important that you could be doing with your life? than this? I'm not saying that like, once you start working in someone's life, you can never move on from that person. God may move you on. I mean, he moved Paul on from the synagogue, and Paul shook out his clothes and did that whole thing. Although I still think that was strategy. I think Paul's strategy worked, because then he got the synagogue leader to believe later after he left. But, but still, I mean, God can do that, and you just got to trust God to move you on, and not to worry too much about it. But just think about this for a second. Paul Paul, this guy who had this calling and this gifting and this burden and this passion to reach the whole world with the gospel, to share Jesus with everyone, he took a year and a half out of his life and he lived in one place. Do you think you're better than Paul? Of course not, right? I mean, do you think your plans are more important than his? Do you have something more urgent or pressing in your future that would, that would keep you from doing this? Do you really think that you've got some goal or dream that's bigger than Paul's dream? I don't want to demean your dreams, but I mean, seriously, is there anything bigger than what Paul was doing? And yet he took a year and a half out of his life to focus. And God used it in a big way. And so today, I want to get practical. Uh, I want us to start focusing on a few. Um, Right now, I want to invite the ushers to come forward. And uh, in baskets, they've got cards that look like this. It's a business card size uh, card. And on one side, it's got the words from uh, Romans 10. It's kind of our theme verse for this. It's this idea that if if people are going to receive the life of Jesus— the life that so many of us in this room know. This life that exists now that is, that is making our life different and better. This life that goes on forever. That they've got to hear about Jesus. Someone's got to speak to them about Jesus. Someone's got to be willing to go to speak. And that someone is you. So that's on the one side. On the other side, we've got these three uh, lines. And what we're going to ask you to do today is we're going to ask you to write down three names. First names only of people in your life that you're going to focus on. The few that you're going to focus on. So before you write down, I just want you to think for a second. So how do you figure out who those people should be? Because some of you, you want to chart it all out in a spreadsheet. and You want to assign point values to people based on, you know, previous behavior and say so that you get your warmest leads because that works for you in business. But, you know, I'd rather you didn't do that here. I'd rather instead that you just start thinking about where you already are See, focusing on a few is about living life with people, investing in people. So start where you're already living. Think about your neighborhood. Who's in your neighborhood that God might be calling you to focus on? Or think about your work or your school or your extracurriculars. You know, that volunteer position or that organization you serve. Think about the people that you mill with there. Think about where you shop. Or where you go to buy coffee or the restaurant you love to go to. Wherever that place is where you kind of already know some of the people by a first name basis or at least they recognize your face. Think about those people. Think about family members. They can be some of the hardest, but go ahead and think about them. And frankly, when it comes to stuff like this, I like quick, knee-jerk responses because I overthink this stuff to death. And I like to leave God just room to prompt me and and to put someone's name in my head. And so think about those things, and if God puts a name in your head, write that name down, first names only. Because here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to go out, and I want you to begin focusing on these three people. Not speaking to them, that's next week, we'll talk about that, but, but, but just begin working the soil of their life. It can be small things, it can be big things. You know, maybe spend time with them. Invite them over. Experience table fellowship. And maybe you can't invite them over this week, but at least extend the invitation this week. Maybe it's next month that you can get together, but, but make sure that invitation goes out this week. You could listen sincerely to them. You know, instead of asking someone how they're doing and then just kind of tuning out, actually listen to their answer. <laughs> you could do that. And not only listen to what they say, but listen to what they don't say. And maybe dig a little deeper. This week, you could serve these people unexpectedly. Just do some random act of kindness. Serve them in some way. There's a great way, that's a great way to show people that you care about them. Uh, above all, pray. Pray, pray, pray for these people. Pray your heart out. Not one of these perfunctory prayers where you say, dear Jesus, please be with. But, but do battle for their sake. I mean, this is a person, this should be a person who is living their life outside of the love and the hope and the forgiveness and the mercy and the assurance and the compassion that we all know if we follow Jesus Christ, that should be a cause for deep prayers of concern, of anguish, of pleading with God on their behalf. And then just, you know, be open to the adventure this week. But the point is, do something. Begin to take a step. Begin to narrow your focus from everyone in the world and they all need Jesus too, but begin to focus on who those few will be in your life. So today it's uh, time for you to fill out these cards again. uh, Three people, first names only. And then here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This is is kind of a, uh, listen to this instruction. You're going to take this home and you're going to put it in your wallet or on a mirror or on a desk or somewhere where you're going to see it. It's going to be a reminder to focus. But what we'd love for you to do before you leave is to snap a picture of this on your tablet or your smartphone, and uh, text it to us, or you can even email it to us, but we've got the text number up here, 636-686-0140. Uh, if you don't have a smartphone and someone in your row does, have them take a picture of your card. We're not going to publish these widely, but they will come back later on in the series. We'd love to bring them back, um, just as a reminder for you. So uh, you take the card with you. Before you leave, snap a picture, text it to us at 636-686-0140. Okay? I don't see you getting your phones out yet. You're making me nervous. I don't think you're listening. But here's how we're going to um, close off this service today. We're going to close off singing a song uh, that we just love. And you can take time during the song to write down these names and to text in uh, these instructions. But it's a song we've been singing for a few years around here. It's, it's a favorite here. I know it is. Uh, so I hope you sing it out loud, especially because it's, it's the song Mighty to Save. And I just want you to remember, man, if, if God can save people like us, And if God can save someone like me, if he can break through my stubborn heart, my disobedient heart, my darkened mind, if if he can break through all of that and bring his life and bring his light and his mercy to someone like me, God is mighty to do that in the lives of these people too. And so as we sing this song... I just want you to commend these people before God and and go before the throne of God and beg and plead our God who is mighty to save, to work his salvation in the lives of these people and to use you as his hands and feet to do it. Okay? Please stand up as we sing.